We're going to step away uh, this morning from the Book of Romans with all the, uh, the women that are uh, up at this retreat. I uh, titled this morning's message, Faith, Hope, and Love. Most of you might know the scripture. It's out of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that love chapter. And those three words, faith, hope, and love, are and have been referred to as the three theological virtues of the Christian faith. That's a technical term. And, but there are three words that are very important to us as Christians. You might say that these three words are the most important words in our Christian language. Just think about it. Uh, thinking about the word faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't come into a relationship with the living God without it. How important is that word to you? How important is it that you would not only understand faith and what faith is, but that your faith would grow? Think about the word love. Without love, Paul says that we're all just like sounding brass or like a clanging cymbal. If we don't have God's agape love being manifested out of our lives as Christians, we're just like a, a clanging cymbal. You see, love is the dominant characteristic of a Christian. Think about the word hope. Without hope, what would you be, who would you be without Christ? Lost, without hope. Webster's Dictionary, it defines this word virtue. I, I, I talked about the three theological virtues. And this word virtue actually is translated in our New Testament with a couple of Greek words. One of them is the word dunamis. You've heard that word, right? The Greek word dunamis for power, our English word power. It's actually the same word that's translated virtue in other places in Scripture. Now, we know that Jesus, uh, when that, remember that woman that went up and touched the hem of his garment, that woman with the issue of blood? And it says that she came up behind him and she touched his garment. Right out, he didn't even see her, do he? she just touched his garment. And we read that Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had, had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Isn't that amazing? That word is the word virtue or translated power, dunamis. There's also the word virtue that is translated that way, and it's a different Greek word. 
And it speaks of a course of thought, a feeling, or an action. It's, it's actually, if we want to say, it's, it's moral goodness in our life. It's moral excellence in the life of a Christian. Virtue. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says that his divine power, that's that word dunamis again, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you know that you have everything that you need to live a life for Christ? He's given you His Holy Spirit. He's given you His power, that dunamis, to be able to have a life of godliness and to live a virtuous Christian walk. It it goes on to say, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory, and here's the word, virtue, moral excellence, by by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers, and listen to this, that you might be a partaker of the divine, there's that word again, the divine nature. Whose nature are we talking about? God's nature. Who God is. That we might be a partaker of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. And then Paul goes through this list of various moral excellence or moral uh, attributes of what a Christian really should be like. It's like, a, it's like a string of pearls. It's like adding one pearl to the next. Listen to the, the list. He says, but also for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith. That's where it starts in faith. Add to your faith virtue, moral excellence. In other words, once you're saved, God doesn't want to just save you. He wants your life to mature. He wants you to grow. He wants wants to do something in your life. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And then to perseverance, godliness. And then to godliness, brotherly kindness. And then lastly, to brotherly kindness, add love, agape. That third one, that third word, love. That main attribute of the Christian life. That we would have God's love being manifested in our life. Not only towards God but towards one another. I was looking at all of the uh, various religions of the world. Did you know that they all have their own virtues that they follow? Their own what they call moral excellence. And if you look at the list of all the things that they, uh, they have, it's not what the Bible has. It's different. You see, for the Christian, those three words are faith, 
hope, and love. And it's what characterizes us Christians. People are going to know you by these things. Your faith, your hope, the love that you have within you. This study is not going to be exhaustive on these three words. There's a lot that could be said about faith. There's a lot about hope and there's a lot about love. But I want to make an emphasis. I want to make an emphasis upon these three words. Faith, simply put, is believing God at His Word. God said it, I believe it. You know, it's just simply believing God for what He says. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so, if we're going to just bring faith down to just that simple definition. It's the things that I don't see. I I don't see them with my eyes, but I believe. I'm convinced. I'm assured of these things. That's faith. Hebrews 11.6, and I've already shared this verse, tells us, but without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. It has to start with faith. To each of you has been given a measure of faith. As a gift from God, he gave you this little measure of faith to believe in him. But then we want that faith to grow, don't we? We want it to mature. We, if you were to spend time reading, and I, I believe most of you have, reading Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the hallmark of faith. Have you ever spent time just reading through that list of all the men and women of the Old Testament and, the, and their, their, really their steps of faith? It's encouraging, isn't it? We read in Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I want you to notice something when I'm reading these verses out of Hebrews 11. That every time it says by faith and then it gives the person's name, it always has what they did with that faith. There's always something that comes forth out of real faith. It's not just enough to say that I believe in God with my intellect. It's not just enough to say I have faith in a God. I have to act upon the faith that I say that I have. That's really what distinguishes and defines real faith. So Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. In other words, he did what God required and God accepted that. In Hebrews 11:7, by faith Noah, being delivered or divinely, excuse me, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, it says that he moved with godly fear, and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Let me ask you: Noah's out there building this ark for over a hundred years out in the desert; hadn't even rained on the earth. And by faith, he had to build that ark with his sons for all of those years. If Noah would have been frustrated in that last year, after working on the boat for 100 years, 
and decided I'm done with this thing. And he didn't put that last board on the bottom of the ship and then the flood came. What would have happened to Noah and his sons, daughters, daughter-in-laws? What would have happened to them? They would have perished. They had to prepare the ark to the saving of his soul. They had to, they had to act upon in faith and do that. Hebrews 11.8, By faith, Abraham, he obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith. I've been in that place when I went to Wales in the mission field. I, I knew the feeling when I got off that plane, when we arrived there, my wife and my daughters. Man, what are we doing? But we're here in faith and we're believing that God has called us. I felt that way coming to North Carolina, not knowing a soul here. But God called us and here we are. You see, faith requires us to do something. It's not just enough to say that we have it, it's what we do with it. Hebrews 11.11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged God faithful who had promised. It's impossible, God, but I believe. Hebrews 11.17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, remember that? Probably the greatest test in all the Bible. Here's Abraham offering up Isaac on that altar because God had called him to take his son and to sacrifice his only son. And he was willing to do it, knowing and believing that God would be able to raise his son from the dead. That's faith. Hebrews 11.21, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of, his, of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. He had to look ahead. He put this blessing upon his, his sons, looking ahead in faith. Hebrews 11.22, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel from, from Egypt there and gave instruction concerning his bones. In faith, he did that. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, when he became of age, uh, when Moses became of age, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he should destroy the firstborn, lest, uh, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Wow. Acts of faith. Notice how it's all active. Notice how they're actually doing something with it. Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot Rahab, 
did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Faith. It's what we possess as Christians. But God wants us to grow in it. He wants us to mature. He wants that little seed of faith that was placed in you as a gift to mature and to grow. And for you to act upon it in greater ways than you ever have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we have to apply ourselves to know God through His Word, know His promises, know what it says, and then be willing to step out on the water and to trust God and to believe God. Real faith is active. Real faith believes. Real faith trusts even when you're not able to see or to understand or figure out how God's going to do it. That's real faith. And you know what? God loves it. He loves it when you just stand upon Him and say, God, I can't figure it out, but I'm going to believe in You and I'm going to stand on Your promise in faith. God loves it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How about the word hope for you as a Christian? Confident expectation. That's the best way to define it. Confident. Being confident that something's going to come to pass that God said would. I'm confident, and not only am I confident that this is going to come to pass, but with great expectation, I'm waiting for that to happen. How about Christ's return? Are you expecting that? Are you, with anticipation, waiting with expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back? That's hope. It's what we have as believers. It's this hope that keeps you and I from despair. You see, before you knew Christ, you were without hope. You were in this world without hope. You didn't know what your end was going to be. You didn't know where you were going to go when you died. And now all of a sudden you have this great hope, this great expectation. It's this hope that assures us of future things. It's this hope that keeps us from turning back and following and going back into the world because I'm set that what's ahead of me I'm convinced that what's ahead of me is going to be far greater than what's in this world. And so I press on to the end. That's hope. This hope is what keeps us from giving up. Have you ever felt like giving up as a Christian? Throwing in the towel? You know, just saying, you know what? Hey, this is harder than I thought. This is a lot more than I thought. This is more difficult. I have more difficult, more issues now than I had before I knew the Lord. Have you ever felt that whisper in your ear about giving up? You see, hope for the Christian will keep you going. It'll keep you from giving up. And we need to grab hold of it. God, would you help me to believe in you more, to trust in you more, Lord, would you renew my hope? Would you renew it today? 
If you're feeling a little bit like you're lacking in that, like you're, you're, you're just not quite as focused on that as you used to be, Maybe you just need a, you know, you need a stirring. We, we need that, that hope revived inside of us, don't we? Hope revived. I like that. Hope revived in our hearts. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, we're told, but having seen them afar off, and they were assured of them. Is that you? They embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. That's not homeland security. That's homeland in heaven with the Lord. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. He's gone away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, Jesus says, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to receive you to myself. For where I am, there you will be also. That's eternity, everybody. That's that's forever. That's once and for all. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's why we continue to press forward, press hard, run towards the finish line. Don't give up. Keep going to the God of all hope and glean everything you can from Him. Stand on His promises. That's the hope that we have as Christians. Remember back in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, Paul said this, For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Asking a question. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In other words, what's ahead? It's so far outweighs what's here in this life. No matter how bad this life can be, no matter what it can throw at, it so far outweighs. I've never seen heaven with my physical eyes, but it's so in in my faith, in my hope in God, it so outweighs that with perseverance I wait. It's going to be worth it, church. It's all going to be worth it. It may seem very difficult at times here, but man, it's going to be worth it. Hope waits in anticipation. You know what it means to anticipate something? Hope waits in anticipation. Hope also waits in expectation. Expecting that God is going to be faithful with what He said that He's going to do. Hope also reaches through the dark with confidence. Meaning all the dark, meaning all the trials, tribulations, hardships, those things that get thrown at us in life, it reaches through the dark with confidence. I'm going to have a new body someday. No more pain, no more suffering. With great confidence, 
I look forward to that day. That's the hope of a Christian. We also have the virtue of love. It's really the number one earmark of a Christian. There's really nothing that really designates a a true Christian than for people to see God's supernatural love evidenced in your life. Nothing. It's not by how many times you go to church. It's not by all the kind of good deeds that you might do. Those things are expressed sometimes in God's love. But the love that you read about in 1 Corinthians 13 in that love chapter, it's supernatural. Just read it for yourself. Read through the description of that love and go, okay, now I'm, I'm getting it. This is not the kind of love that's within me. This is a supernatural love that has been placed in my heart by the Holy Spirit the day that I believed. Agape love. Supernatural love. Unconditional love sacrificial love towards God and towards other people. How many of you were loved into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Loved into a relationship. Meaning that there was another person in your life in spite of who you are. In spite of just, you know, just, man, they they just kept loving me. And that bothered me. They just loved on me in spite of who I am, with all my mess-ups and all my failures. And they just kept loving me, unconditional, sacrificial. That's God's love. He demonstrated His love toward you. And while you were a sinner, He cried, He died for you. Supernatural. Unconditional sacrificial Paul wrote in Galatians 5:22 but the fruit of the spirit is love the fruit of God's spirit is love you could just stop right there that's the fruit of God's spirit love just think on that for a moment the holy spirit that has been poured out into your heart by the holy spirit that love that dwells inside of you is the fruit of the Spirit is love. It dwells in you. And out of that word love comes joy. You get to experience joy out of God's love for you. His love in you. Peace. Don't you love the peace of God? It comes from His love about long-suffering? That's another fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Those are all, they all come out of love. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, he says in verse 3, he says, knowing that Tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint 
Because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which He has given to us. Did you notice that hope and that love? These are, these are things that we possess. He's been poured out into our hearts by His Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they'll know. By God's love being evidenced in our life. It's how they'll know. It's that earmark of a true Christian. Jesus also said in chapter 15, verse 9, He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He tells us to abide in His love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Can you do it on your own? You can't do it apart from Him. You can't love people the way Christ has called us to love without His Holy Spirit doing it in you. Jesus said to His disciples, uh, uh, Jesus uh, in 1 John 3.16 John told us what this kind of love looks like. He says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's the best way for me to grab hold of it. To know love is to know Jesus and to know the cross and know what he did. And we ought also to lay down our life for one another. He laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our life for one another. Laying down your life means laying down your time. Laying down your life sometimes is laying down your possessions. Laying down your life sometimes is just giving of yourself to an individual in some way to help them. It's going out of the normal. It's, it's, it's going where it hurts. It's doing something that is going to cost you. It may not cost you your life. You may not hang on a cross like he did for you. But it'll cost you something to love one another. That's the kind of love that we're to have as believers. And it's a growing love. It's it's a maturing love. It matures this way first, and then it grows at this level, this way. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, 
Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can't get any clearer than that. We're called to grow in this love relationship. Primary characteristic of a Christian. Loving one another at this level as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's essential as what Jesus has called us to do. We won't do it perfectly. We will fail at times. But God, would you help me to love others like you love me? Paul, on his second missionary journey, he came into a a city called Thessalonica. He preached there for three Sabbaths. He was ran out of town after he did that for the gospel's sake. And then he sent back Timothy to go see how they were all doing. These are brand new Christians. And he gets word from Timothy that they're doing well, Paul. They're really doing good. And so Paul sits down and he begins to write this letter of 1 Thessalonians to the Christians there. He says, to the church at Thessalonica, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all. He's talking about the Christians there, making mention of you in our prayers. And then he says this, of them. This is what he got a report back from Timothy. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. There it is. Your labor of love, there it is. And your patience of hope, there it is. Faith, love, and hope that we see. These were the characteristics. It's why Paul was writing that letter to them. It's why he was thanking God in remembrance of them. Because he heard about their faith that was laboring. He heard about their love that was laboring towards others. He heard about their hope that they had. They were in persecution, a time of great persecution during this time in church history. And with patience, with hope, they were waiting for Christ's return. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Wow. Paul continued, though, in 1 Thessalonians 3.11, he continued because, you see, Paul was never content with just seeing somebody get saved. He was never content just to write about and, and, and commend them for their work of faith and their labor of love and their patience of hope and then just leave it with that. He was never content with that. But are, are, are we content with where we're at? Are you content with just being saved? And that's it. I just know I'm going to heaven. There's not much else in my Christian walk, but I'm content to go to heaven. No, we should be, God, I want more. I want to go further with you. I want to grow in this faith. I want to grow in my love. I want to grow in this hope. I want to mature in these areas. So Paul writes 
In 1 Thessalonians 3.11, he says, Now may our God and Father, and this is his prayer, he's praying for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase, listen to this, may, may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we did to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. And listen to what he says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ for all of his saints. Love and hope. He writes about their love for each, each other again in chapter 4. He says in verse 9, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In other words, you've already learned this. And indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, this area of Macedonia. But Paul writes, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Paul wasn't content. Would just to say, well, yeah, I've got the love of God poured out my heart by the Holy Spirit. I'm saved. He says, I want you to increase the more and more. How does that happen? How do I increase in my love towards you more and more? How does that happen in a practical way? Well, first off, if this love relationship this way is not maturing and growing, it will never happen at this level. And so if there's any kind of a blockage that keeps me from loving you in a greater way, it's because I've stopped really growing in this love relationship this way. If this is maturing and growing, and and you could actually say in your heart today, I'm more in love with the Lord today than I was a year ago. If you can say a year ago, six years ago, whatever time frame it is that, you know, man, I remember those days, man, I couldn't get enough of the Lord. I was so in love with the Lord. I was so in love with his word. I was so, you know, today, it's just not the same. Well, you're probably backslidden. You're probably, you're not, because see, the Christian walk is one of going forward. It's one of reaching up. Lord, I want more of you. And as that love relationship this way matures and grows, and you could actually say in your heart, I'm more in love with the Lord today than I've ever been. Then you're going to start loving one another in a greater way. Have you ever been around a person that is just so over the top in love with the Lord? They're just like bubbling over with love towards everybody else. You know, it's just like, it's just infectious. And if you've been around somebody that's just, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. We should be people that have something that is setting us apart from others that don't know Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul's second letter to them, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because of your, because your faith, listen to this, your faith grows exceedingly. Oh, Paul's not content with that. He wanted to see it. Your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards 
each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. That's hope. Through their tribulation and and their persecutions, they were with patience and faith waiting in hope. Your faith grows exceedingly. Your love abounds. What's it mean to abound in something? Now, when I think of the word abound, I think of something more. Abounding, it's more in love towards one another. Paul writing to the church at Colossae in Colossians 1.3. He says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. That really kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Here he is thanking God for the believers that are at the church in Colossae. And he's thanking God the Father and he's thanking the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm praying for you guys always. Since we heard, it's kind of like at Thessalonica, since we heard of your faith. Paul would go and plant a church and then he would get reports you know, people travel from, you know, it wasn't, you know, texting or whatever, but, you know, he would get reports. How's the church at Colossae doing? They're doing good, Paul. They're really, let me tell you, man, let me tell you what's going on with these believers here. Some really good things are going on. Paul gets all stirred inside, sits down, begins to write, and thanking God and praising God for what he hears is going on with them. I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I heard of the love for all of the saints. And because of the hope which is laid, man, they're doing exactly what Paul wanted to see them do. He was praising God for it. That's what I want to see here in all of us. The church at Winston-Salem. If the Apostle Paul was writing that letter to us, what would he write? What would it look like? Maybe some of us would be afraid to read it. It might be just a letter of rebuke. You need to get back to your first love. You need to come back. You used to be in full in love with me and now you're not. It might be that kind of a letter. My prayer is that it would be like the letter here to the Colossae. At least in my life. My prayer this morning for each of you, and you includes me, that you would continue to grow in your faith. That your faith would be not just a word, but it would be a faith that is in action. Putting your faith, putting feet to your faith. Doing something with what you say you believe in. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. You know, when it comes to this outreach that we're going to be doing July 4th, go all into it. 
Give it your all. Give it your best. You're doing it under the Lord. Serve there. Serve the people. Serve this community. Give it all up. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you whatever. But give it all up. That you would grow in patience and endurance with all perseverance and hope. That you would persevere. If I walked up to you and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm having a terrible week. Difficult, terrible. But you know what? My eyes are on the Lord. My eyes are on the Lord. I'm trusting Him. My hope is in Him. I'm going, wow. Okay, praise the Lord. You know, I can't fix it. God can. But He can also give you the perseverance and He can give you the patience to endure as you go through the difficulties of life. That we would grow, that we would wait upon the promises that God has given to us. You see, not every promise is immediately known. God's given a lot of promises. Sometimes we sit back and go, where is it? I read it, but where is it? We need perseverance. We need patience as we wait upon the Lord to fulfill His promises to you. How many times have you gone through life and been trusting God, began to maybe give up a little bit on it because it's been so long waiting for God to fulfill His promise to me. And then all of a sudden time passes and you see God did fulfill that. God did help me in that. As a matter of fact, when it came, I even forgot that, he, that I'd prayed about that. He was faithful. You're still all here. You, you know, we, we all walked in. We all have clothes on our backs. None of us look like we're starving to death. God's fulfilling what He's going to do in our life. Is it easy? Is it hard? It's hard. Give me patience. Give me endurance. Give me hope. And that you would also know God's love more and more. Best way to get to know the love of God towards you. Just sit down in your Bible and read every time you see the word love. You can go to a concordance and you can find the word love. And you can just start reading verse after verse after verse. And then let God's love overwhelm you for a little bit. And then just say, God, I want to love you more for what you have done for me and your great love for me. Overwhelm me with your love. That my love towards you would grow. That my love towards my brothers and sisters in Christ would abound towards each other. We have a very gracious, very gracious and merciful Heavenly Father. Very gracious and patient towards you. And aren't, aren't we thankful? Thankful. He's just, he's so gracious towards us. Forgiving. Picks us back up again. We just keep going on. 
And it's because of His great love for you. I'll close with our, really the verse that I started with. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Should be able to remember that one. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. After Paul described in that chapter this supernatural love of God, he finishes in verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So out of those three, he says, here's the pinnacle, love. It sets above all of them. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Nothing supersedes that. Nothing is more important than that. That we would know the love of God, that we would extend the love of God. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.